it's uh, the old and the new and a spice or a splash of surprise. Is that what you say? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So I think about, you know, we're bringing this old historical practice of being treaty relatives, of sitting together, eating together, and thinking about these complex problems together. Hi, I'm Naomi Mahaffey, and welcome to PAUSE, an Alberta Social Innovation Connect podcast. Changemaking is difficult and vulnerable work, particularly when we're trying to find better ways of responding to the complex, stuck problems in our communities. Problems like racism, poverty, environmental degradation, climate change, and homelessness. We may not even agree on what the root causes of these problems are, much less how to go about addressing them. In today's busy and increasingly polarized world, Many changemakers speak of their desire to relearn the art of storytelling, reflection, and dialogue. Stories connect us, communicate important truths, help us build empathy, and help us make sense of the world together. If we want to get better at creating change together, we need to get better at listening deeply, disagreeing well, and, when necessary, changing our own perspectives and the way we show up in our work and our relationships. In this podcast, Albertan changemakers pause to reflect on the work they're doing together to address the root causes of messy problems in their communities. Our first episode features three dynamo changemakers in Edmonton. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hello, my English name is Jody Callahoo Stonehouse. Hello, I'm Ashley Dryberg. I'm Ben Weinlich. And together, we are part of the Edmonton Shift Lab. I'll take a moment here to note that Ben, Jody, and Ashley's conversation was recorded in Edmonton, while my side of this podcast was recorded in Fort McMurray. This was made possible thanks to the wonders of modern technology and thanks to the incredible support of Lisa Pruden from the Edmonton Community Foundation. Lisa helped with herding the cats, as Ben described it, recording our guests, editing our voices, and bringing this episode together. I'll also note that our guests will be referring to social innovation language and processes that you might not be familiar with or might have questions about. Take a look at our show notes to find out where you can learn more about social innovation and the Edmonton Shift Lab. Okay, so back to these three changemakers and the work they're doing together. The Edmonton Shift Lab is a diverse collective of Edmontonians working together to develop potential service, policy, system, and community action solutions that will reduce racism as it contributes to poverty. Why? Poverty is a real issue in Edmonton. 12% of Edmontonians do not have the means to assure stable housing, adequate nutritious food, or the conditions that foster health, safety, and basic quality of life. And poverty and racism are deeply interconnected. Racism makes it hard for people to find good jobs, housing, and services, and to feel a sense of belonging. The Shift Lab is an example of social innovation. The team is braiding together systems thinking, design thinking, and Cree perspectives to help Edmontonians understand and address these complex, intersecting problems in new ways. I asked Ben, Jody, and Ashley to reflect on what changes they hope to see in the world as a result of this work. So I think big picture, when I think about systems change, I think about how do we problem solve better as communities, and how do we make progress on wicked tough challenges and I think there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're learning together with my colleagues here around how we help communities navigate and get better at problem solving drawing on past history and new ways of doing that so I think you know when I really think big picture it's how do we solve tough challenges and get 
get better at that together. The Shift Lab is trying to come up with prototypes for racism in Edmonton. So I think the change that the Shift Lab is trying to see in the world has to do with racism, but also has to do with this thinking of how do we braid Indigenous and social innovation or systems change ideas and thinking together. Ashley's right. That's definitely the work we're doing at the Edmonton Shift Lab. But I think for me, uh, individually, the change I'd like to see is that Indigenous peoples are treated with the same dignity and respect um, that non-Indigenous people are and that the suffering and the poverty uh, is reduced. So for me, that's what motivates me to do this work. People have been dealing with questions of poverty and racism throughout history. I asked our guests to share what promise they see in social innovation when it comes to helping us get better at addressing these complex challenges. I think coming from an Indigenous perspective, uh, and then looking and exploring social innovation has been exciting and challenging, but fundamentally hopeful. What I have really appreciated with uh, systems thinking and design thinking is that there's so many parallels to the way in which Indigenous people come to decisions around the way they're going to move forward in their community on who knows what the issue might be, but I just see that our processes are so similar and that ultimately we all want to make better decisions. And so I see that there's been space made in, in social innovation for Indigenous people to bring their agency. And for me, that has been really, really hopeful. What I like about social innovation is it gives us a language and tools to deal with complexity. And the problems of the world are becoming increasingly complex and often in the face of that complexity, it's easy to just bow out. And the work that I do personally is grounded in how do we get people with privilege to engage in these complex problems? So I deal a lot with white folks. And what I like about social innovation is it gives everyone a way in. And thinking about tying together indigenous methodologies and social innovation one of the questions that I'm carrying is how, how as a white person, how as a descendant of settlers, how do I get involved in reconciliation? And what does that mean for me? And so I'm excited that this work is giving some tools and some pathways so that non-Indigenous folks can remember, right, reconciliation is actually our job. Nice. So I agree with my colleagues on this and building on some of that. To me, when I think social innovation, it's not the panacea end all be all. Some and there isn't one way to do social innovation. Some people talk about social innovation as a process, some as an outcome that gets to root causes, uh, that gets to solving really tough, complex challenges like racism, like poverty. Um, some of the examples used to be, exemplify social innovation, like the Registered Disability Savings Plan or Tommy Douglas Universal Healthcare are big ones that have been around a while, but I think there's also ones when we're trying to change up how we collaborate, change up how we um, tackle tough things, then there's some things that social innovation can offer. The thing that's promising is rather than just designing or thinking about challenges in an ivory tower or away from the challenge, you need to go to where people are and to really include people that are affected by issue in um, making sense of what's really going on. What are those challenges? And to me, that's one of the promising pieces, which balances power, um, which also uh, can lead to good possibilities, you know, good pathways forward, because you're, you're going less on assumptions and more on 
what do people really need and what can we design with folks uh, that can work? To the best of my knowledge, ShiftLab is fairly unique among social innovation labs in that it's beginning to intentionally and explicitly think through how Cree and Western perspectives might be woven together to shape this type of work. I asked Jody, Ben, and Ashley to discuss the similarities and the tensions they see between these two worldviews. You go first, oh, Jody. Okay, so what are the similarities and what are the tensions? Okay, uh, this is Jody here, and I think that this is a really important question because we have had to personally wrestle at the Shift Lab with some of the tensions around how do we make space? How do we accommodate? How do we go to a reserve and bring our core lab team, the folks who are participating with us, how do we do these things in a way that are respectful to the integrity and the context of Indigenous processes that aren't appropriating those processes and that are inclusive so that non-Indigenous folks feel safe and feel like this is something that is important and can contribute to their learning? And how do we also do these things in a way that not only compensates the folks who are doing the work with us from Indigenous community, but community itself where we're extracting that knowledge. So, I mean, this is a really interesting way to think about what are the tensions because we are wrestling with them at the Shift Lab and doing our best to navigate and th what are the similarities. Often it's so easy for me to overlook them because they just feel so comfortable and we just do them. So, you know, there's this idea, this notion of creating artifacts in uh, social innovation. Well, our processes around mnemonic devices, and many of you have probably seen maybe totem poles in B.C., the Coast Salish people. Those totem poles are, you know, reminders of people's legal traditions, their obligations and their responsibilities, their clan system, their territory, their rights, their work that they have to do. And so these artifacts or these devices that we have as Indigenous people are, are parallel and align us of who we are and the work that we have to do. So that's just one example of where there's parallelism. There are multiple sequences that we're identifying and we'll be writing about that and publishing about that. So follow the Edmonton Shift Lab. I think one of some of the tensions that we're navigating is often um, the tension between going slow and going fast. So going slow with reflection, oral culture, storytelling, um, you know, we, Jody and I and Ashley and our team, we all kind of navigate this to say, you know, I, I will want like bullet points on my slides and we're going to go through, there's five steps to design thinking. We're going to go do these things. And Jody would be like, throw that out, like in the moment, fresh stories, you know, don't taint it with the bullet points around it. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's a really cool dynamic we have on our team that we kind of both we all share those different perspectives and we and we are open rather than get into conflict around it. We both say, oh, that's interesting. What are the valuable pieces that we can't, we can't move so fast, we're going to miss things and we need to step back. And that to me, uh, as I'm learning and have a lot to learn in this, the Indigenous worldview has a lot to add of the deep being present and listening and really un trying to understand what am I sensing around this and what is my community sensing and what do we need to pay attention to? Whereas in design, it can be kind of fast and hard and like and some of that is helpful for when you want to go with first thought best thought and kind of um, not get so involved with the naysayer but just say let's try this and see so there's some real leaps of fearlessness in that that can be helpful so th those are tensions that we're always navigating that's tricky 
Jody mentioned appropriation, and that's something that I really struggle with. What does it mean as a white person to be trying to braid indigenous methodologies, Cree methodologies in our particular circumstance with social innovation ones? And I I often think, well, we couldn't do this without Jody, and we couldn't do this without our team. And that's exactly the point, that this work, this braiding, this coming together has to happen in community, and it has to happen with partnership, with trust, and dare I say, sometimes with love. Ashley raises a really important piece, and I think that's what makes the work of the Shift Lab so extraordinary, is that our team um, has made space for Indigenous worldview, and not only Indigenous worldview, but Indigenous people. And that has been paramount to the work that we're trying to achieve here, particularly when we were looking at the intersection of racism and poverty. And we all know the statistics around Indigenous people when it comes to poverty and racism. So there's been this really beautiful thing that has happened. And for me is learning that there are folks who will welcome Indigenous worldview, the folks who will allow the challenge in a respectful way because it doesn't always make sense or it doesn't always fit easily. And we've really pushed each other's boundaries and have been able to come back to the core of what is it that we're trying to achieve. And uh, I'm so grateful and appreciative of everyone on the Shift Lab, on the team, because I don't think we would be doing such great work if it wasn't for everyone who contributes. So, you know, it's not just that there is a prescriptive way to do the work. It's actually about that trust, that respect, that making space, and what Ashley mentioned, that love for each other. One thing, just to add to that, um, thinking a lot about and engaged in this work, this whole, and learning not too long ago about treaty, and you know, being in Treaty 6 territory, and what that means. I, there's something about, I've heard from Indigenous folks, and even the mayor was, I think, the first time I really heard it, was around this notion that we're all treaty people. And that being a central, that it's not a tokenistic thing of just, hey, come be part of this, but actually, I think some something about the shift lab, uh, and especially the stewardship team, that we all bring our pieces as equals, and we're, we're working together on helping uh, navigate some really tough challenges and doing this for a community. To me, I think there's some aspect of it that I hope it's a contribution towards a real tangible piece of being good treaty people. Um, and to me, that's kind of a bigger picture thing that I hope it helps with. Racism and poverty are weighty issues. Shift Lab's work to address these issues obviously brings up many questions and tensions. I asked our guests to reflect on how they experience and navigate these tensions in their daily work. There aren't silver bullets. There's a few patterns that we strive for, you know, around it. One, you want to look at who are folks that are, are struggling with the challenge, you know, whether that's around racism or it's around poverty or whatever, you know, piece that your social innovation approach is trying to navigate and tackle. So we kind of look for a whole systems approach, which is a fancy word for who are all the people affected? Who are people that are um, putting pressure on other people and other way and other systems and other ways that are maybe making um, challenges in some areas, maybe um, trying to help in other areas? How do we bring that whole group together? When I think about the long house or the big house and the way that clans or families have spokesperson, like there's this weird notion that has been pan-indigenized around circles that, you know, we do these sharing circles. But that's not an accurate picture of what takes place 
in the business of Indigenous communities. We have spokespeople who are considered experts who speak on behalf of or for or with uh, a particular group. And so for me, I, I brought that lens in when I was thinking about who are the people speaking, advocating for uh, folks dealing with racism, you know, right on the front lines? Who are the people that are doing this work at, of advocacy on a municipal, provincial, federal level? Like, wh- where are the people doing that work of being leaders in multiple areas? And so um, I think about my good friend, Johnny Lee, who has joined us at the Shift Lab, and he inspires me to do better work. He, you know, has his own struggle with homelessness and he continues to advocate not only for himself, but so many other people. And I just think he is integral to the work that we're doing and he brings such powerful insights. And then not only him, but then bringing folks who have hands on levers on systems to make change. So there's this beautiful balance of the people who are suffering from the system and the people who are actually operating the system. And those are the people that we want to bring to the table in the work that we're doing. Right now, we're in what we call Shift Lab 2.0, which is our second iteration. The first iteration of the Shift Lab was wonderful. We learned a whole heck of a lot. And one of the key learnings or one of the key pieces of feedback that we got was that we had to go deeper, that we were just skimming the surface of all the different complicated ways that racism works in the city. So the stewardship team sat down And we said, if we really want to go deep in racism, we need to target what we call the sleepy middle. And the sleepy middle are those folks that might say things like, well, I don't see race, or why can't we all just get along, and aren't anti-racist activists, and probably aren't torch-wielding Nazis, but are just the folks that are somewhere in the middle, most of whom are probably white. How can we activate what we suspect is this very, very large population of folks who are the sleepy middle? They're not woke, but they're sleepy. So if one of the principles of social innovation is that you need to have the whole system represented, who do you bring in? What we found, especially in our last sprint, is this really, this really hard tension between how do you not ask the people who are experiencing the burden of racist systems to solve the problem and bring in people that can see the problem well enough to diagnose it. And we had this this really beautiful, hard conversation where people, I think if I can speak for our participants, had this moment of confronting, right, we... It's white people that we have to design for. It is the people that aren't always going to give us the benefit of the doubt or be gracious in how we walk through the world together. But nevertheless, if we need to make change, this is where it needs to happen. And that was a hard conversation for a room full of people, most of whom weren't white. And I think what we learned and and recognized was that the weight and the trauma of racism affects people very differently. And so we, we weren't really prepared for that, I feel like. Um, and so we relied on Indigenous sort of practices to um, help us get out of that space of trauma 
and a, a practice of um, bringing people to ceremony to eat together um, so that the weight of racism that people have felt could be lifted and supported. And we're not saying erased because it's a legitimate experience for people, but how can we move on to the work um, without getting stuck? So, yeah, because one of the tensions here is in a design approach, you you try to go to understand the mindset, the motivations, the needs of the user or the person whom a solution is meant, meant to help around it. And so you want to try to learn. And so here, this is a big tension of who is the user. The end outcome is we want less racism. We want things to be safer and better for racialized persons and community, right? Um, how we get there and the folks that we need to shift the minds of the sleepy middle, how we need to get deep into that mindset. What are the levers that we can shift things? What are the levers that will open up so that people go, oh, I see how this might be some systemically racist behavior that I wasn't aware of before, and here are the behaviors I could change to get that going. For that, we need to really understand how the, how the mind works in that way, in that, in that circumstance, and that's a real tough one because, as Ashley said, in, in social justice approaches, you never want to center the privileged in, in that kind of work. And here it's saying we're not centering that. We're actually centering that we want things to be better for racialized folks and community. But what we're trying to understand is what are the pressures and the mindsets that are making these problems and how do we understand that and shift it? And not just in the way, oh, we think you should be doing it this way, but what actually works to change behavior. As a sidebar, in case this is useful, I've been thinking a lot and I know the social innovation community has been asking a lot of questions about what is the difference between social justice Mm. and social innovation. And I think... Many times our goals are the same. We want to see the world changed for the better. But through, I think, especially the last few months in the Shift Lab, the answer that's emerging for me about the difference is social innovation is looking to build bridges and find what are the values that unite us, whereas social justice, and I come from an activist background, so this isn't meant to be shady in any way. Social justice said, these are the values that we are going to move forward with. And it's a slight difference, but it's an important one, I think. Ashley had to dash at this point in the conversation, leaving Jody and Ben to solve social innovation. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Ashley. The very nature of social innovation work means that doing it well will lead to changes in our own perspectives, in how we work together, and in how we address the problems we're tackling. I asked Ben and Jody to reflect on the changes they've experienced, both personally and in how their team has approached its work. For me, I think the approach has changed first uh, is that I accepted and trusted the process of social innovation and systems thinking, design thinking. Initially, when I had started to do the work with the team, I was incredibly skeptical and actually not interested in bringing Indigenous ways to this process because I didn't feel it would fit. And um, I, I guess that would be the mistake that I recognize within myself was my lack of trust in non-Indigenous people. And when it took, you know, the first year of us working together where I actually was able to start to allow my own thinking and our the the work that I'm able to include them in and bring community uh, to the lab, bring the lab to community, like sharing that exchange uh, took me some time. And uh, I think for me that that was the biggest mistake. I wish I would have jumped in uh, sooner because I just 
uh, think we could have accomplished so much more by now. So, you know, there's that thing of like, oh, we could have done so much more because I was feeling really reserved and uh, I guess afraid. So I think in some ways what's shifted a little bit is, and Jody talks about this and other Indigenous friends, um, it's relationships first, you know, strengthening relationships, that's key. And sometimes with design and systems approaches, you're you're moving fast and let's just kind of get into this technical space and let's understand the problem and what is the root cause and it's prototype and it's kind of this hard edged sort of thing. And taking the time, how essential it is for the trust building and the connection and sharing food together and ceremony and the relationship building piece is so essential and bringing that into my practice in other areas and other labs as well. Uh, is really key because you can't get to the deeper stuff. You can't get to good solutions if you don't have good relationships with folks. And to me, that's a huge thing I've learned through the process and strive for it. And what's really serendipitous about it all for me is it just brings me right back to treaty. I think about that relationship. You know, we initially sat together to share this place and space. And when settlers came here, we kept them alive, right? There was this relationship of, of living together, sharing together. And somehow we've departed from that. And I find, you know, as Ben always says, it's a the old and the new and a spice or a splash of surprise. Is that what you say? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So I think about, you know, we're bringing this old historical practice of being treaty relatives, of sitting together, eating together, and thinking about these complex problems together. Finally, as the conversation came to a close, Jody and Ben shared some final thoughts about what brings them hope as they move forward in this important work. I think what I'm most hopeful about is that we're able to do work that's scalable so that what we are able to create, we're able to articulate in really clear ways that other folks in other territories and other treaty areas are able to replicate this sort of idea of working in partnership that we're able to share what that magic piece is, whatever it might be, so that people can work in good ways to solve their complex problems with whatever their issue might be. I'm really hopeful about, um, I think, you know, we're doing really complex and some good work with Jody's help and, and other elders and Indigenous folks' help around really centering uh, indigenous worldviews and saying there are there's really something to learn here, uh, not just as a tokenistic thing, but there's some perspectives here that this weaving together of indigenous epistemologies, design and systems approaches, um, there's something to that, and we're exploring that and trying to do that in a good way that is an appropriation and that is authentic and uh, and all of that kind of stuff. But there's something really promising uh, in terms of the work we're doing that is. Uh, working towards that because that can help other communities and hopefully across Canada, other groups for, for tackling tough issues together as, uh, as people that respect each other and people that are saying, hey, you have something to add here. We need that perspective. You have something over here. Let's bring those together and do something better. Well, I think what's promising about social innovation is it's the most inclusive process that I've engaged on where marginalized voice, disenfranchised people's voices are held at the same level as, let's say, a minister who's making the decision. It's a place and space 
where folks who are affected by that system or that design sit with the designers and or the people in charge of the system. And we're actually co-creating something that can address the complex issue. So for me, I think it's a beautiful place where we bring people who are affected and people who might be the effectors together to create a solution for a better world. And maybe it's a bit of a romantic notion, but for me, in all the things that I have worked with, whether it be in academia, in different corporations, in the work that I do, uh, social innovation has provided what I think are seeds of hope in how we change Canada to be a more inclusive, peaceful, loving country. Thanks for tuning in to this pilot episode of Pause. The conversation you heard today was recorded in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our communities. Did you enjoy this episode? Subscribe to us wherever you found this one to make sure you don't miss the next. Rate us and tell a friend. Help others connect with and learn from the stories of Albertan changemakers. This episode was produced by Alberta Social Innovation Connect, or ABSI Connect. ABSI Connect is a collective of people and organizations working to connect, align, celebrate, strengthen, and learn from Albertan changemakers who are finding innovative ways to address the complex problems in their communities. Learn more and subscribe to our newsletter at absiconnect.ca. That's A-B-S-I connect.ca. Our funding partner is the Suncor Energy Foundation. Lisa Pruden from the Edmonton Community Foundation supported with recording, editing, and production. Thanks to Jody, Ben, and Ashley for being willing to jump in and experiment with us for this pilot episode, and for their thoughtfulness and honesty throughout the conversation. Theme music was created by the Fort McMurray Youth of the Soundforce Collective. <laughs>